Are you hesitating to take the next step in your e-commerce journey? Founder Plus has you covered with proven frameworks tailored to your business needs for fast results, a supportive community of over 30,000 like-minded entrepreneurs and weekly live mentorship sessions. Founder Plus is your key to success. Try Founder Plus today for just $1 for seven days and start building your dream business with confidence. You can visit founder.com forward slash start dollar trial or click the link in the description to claim your trial. Hey, Founder Fam, before we dive into another incredible conversation, I want to share something really special with you. Whether you're just joining us or you've been following us since the beginning, you've been a critical part of our community working to change entrepreneurial education. I started Founder almost a decade ago with the mission to provide entrepreneurs access to the world's greatest business leaders. Our goal was to break down barriers to entrepreneurial education, and that's taken us on a journey from Founder Magazine to this podcast and beyond, and today marks the next step in that journey, Founder Plus. I'm proud to introduce you to Founder Plus, which is an all-access pass to each of our online courses and programs and their proven frameworks for success. It puts every strategy we've compiled from world-class instructors at your fingertips while connecting you to a global network of like-minded entrepreneurs. Founder Plus will take your business to the next level for today and tomorrow. So whether you've just joined our family or you've watched us grow from humble beginnings, we're really thrilled to have you join us in this exciting new phase of making the founder brand and this company the world's best entrepreneurial community to launch and grow your business. So finally, before we get into today's episode, I'm inviting you to come back, check out Founder Plus and go to founder.com forward slash membership. I'm really excited, guys. This is an incredible new evolution of entrepreneurial education, and our mission is really to get as many of these founders that we interview to teach and also give back on the Founder Plus platform and really go more in depth with the knowledge and the experiences and the lessons learned that they're sharing all in Founder Plus. So guys, please go check it out if you're enjoying these interviews. That's it from me. I hope you enjoy this episode. Now let's jump in. What you need is thirst. You need to be a thirsty human. Who is intent on learning. It's a really fascinating, fascinating exploration of human potential. Now. 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 The Founder Podcast. Even the greatest entrepreneurs had help. If you want to learn from the most successful founders on the planet, you are in the right place. Branson, Mark Cuban, Tony Robbins, Tim Ferriss, Ariana Huffington, Seth Ghost, Steve Case, Gary V, Sophia Amoroso, Robert Corcoran, Damon John. Learn from the greatest minds in business today with interviews hosted by Nathan Chan. This is not your average entrepreneur podcast. The Founder Podcast. Hey guys, Nathan here. Welcome back to another interview today with Founder HQ. And we're here with Gary Dooley, our good friend. He's a business consultant and he works with a lot of high-performing sports teams and companies on teams and leadership. And you're going to hear everything that you need to know when it comes to building high-performing teams and really developing high-performing leaders. This is something that we're really passionate about at Founder. Gary's done a ton of work with us and he's been absolutely exceptional for helping us build a high-performing environment at Founder. So the first question that I ask everyone that comes on is, how did you get your job, aka how did you find yourself doing the work you're doing today? Yeah, great question. I've often sort of 
ask that on myself sometimes. Like, how did I end up doing this? Um, I started my working life as a um, as a teacher in the education system. I did a I did a degree in education. I did a graduate a postgraduate work in um, adolescent behaviour. Um, and so I ended up working for a number of years, you know, half a dozen years, six to eight years, um, with disadvantaged kids in some in, in high school environments in Adelaide. Um, the system sort of wore me out a bit, to be honest, Nathan. I ended up thinking, okay, what could I do that's sort of at the other end of this? So I started a business degree out of pure interest, you know. Uh, did that part-time, took a long time to do. Uh, was, was fortunate enough to get on the, the mobile phone wave, Yes, and so long story short, I ended up working for Optus in Sydney. Um, but again, it, I always felt like I was uh, putting a suit on and pretending to be like the corporate guy. Um, and I know got a couple of other senior corporate roles, um, but I was always troubled by I don't know if this is my calling. I really don't know if this is my calling. And again, was managed to had the opportunity to take six months away from. The business, this business I was working, we restructured. Um, uh, it just gave me the opportunity to go. So, what you know, when was I at my happiest? Mm. And it was working with those kids. I thought, well, I don't go back to that. What have I learned though that I could sort of bundle together? Which is what I started to work on in, in the aspects of that you see today in, in the work that we're doing together. Um, I was fortunate enough then to join a, an organisation called Leading Teams based here in Melbourne. Yep. Um, and that, they were a fledgling at that time in terms of a serious, in terms of a bigger business. Um, a couple of, well, their three founders came to me and said, look, we'd love to make this a bit bigger. You've got some corporate background. How about we all bring this together? And we did. We grew a fairly sizable consulting business here in Melbourne. Yep. Um, and we were at the time quite well known for our work in the AFL. Yep. So Geelong Cats, Hawthorne, Sydney Swans, and I worked the Sydney Swans for about six or seven seasons, um, building their cultural leadership program in there. So we became quite, you know, well known for that. Yes. But again, uh, it got the, the size of the business um, and where it got to, it still didn't quite sit well with me. Yes. Um, and again, so I, again, I, I got there. I had the opportunity to to go back to all the stuff I was building, and really the conclusion. I had to come to was I'm despite the fact that I, I'm so passionate about teams, I'm better off working on my own. As contrary as that sounds, um, and so that was I don't know now eight, nine years ago I suppose you know six or seven years with leading teams. So I've been in this space now for fifteen plus years. So can you take us back to before being a solo operator? What sort of leader were you in the early days of your career? Yeah, I've often reflected on this and I've shared this obviously in some of the sessions. I don't know if I was a very good one, to be honest. Now that I know and have worked with some really, really strong ones, I realised, gee, I wasn't like that. Um, I think I was, in hindsight, I was a very good manager. Like, I delivered. I, that was almost my um, currency. You yeah. know, get Gary and he'll deliver stuff for you. And I sort of wore that badge quite proudly. I don't know how many people I took with me. Um, and it took a really a couple of really smart um, managers or directors of me to yes. say, look, you do deliver, Gary, but do you understand you've got really high staff turnover? Mm-hmm. It's like, yeah, but, you know, we're in a tough industry. This is a tough market. You know, I'd have all every excuse under the sun uh, without looking in the mirror going, mm, I think there's something in that. So in hindsight, I think I was a very good 
output-driven manager. Yes. I, don't know, I don't know how many people I would have taken with me. Got you. When it comes to leadership, what do you think is good? To define good, talk us through what good. Wow. Yeah. Um, if we're going to be really careful not overcomplicate leadership, yep, because it does have the propensity to turn into some sort of really complex aspect. It's create belief, create high levels of trust, and create an environment where people want to follow you rather than have to follow you. Now that sounds really simple. I know that. However, and there's a whole bunch of work underneath that. But fundamentally, are you building high levels of trust? Are you creating belief? in a new way forward or a way forward? Um, and are you investing enough in those people to, for them to want to follow you? And if you think of the great leaders that you've worked for, if they said, okay, we're going over the top, you go, okay, I'm, I'm in. Um, you don't go, okay, give me the map, give me the plan, what's over the other side? No, no, they just go. Um, and are they naturally born? A great need yeah. leader's naturally born? Mm. I get, asked, I get asked that a bit. I, I think if we keep leadership simple yeah. then and don't over, as I said a moment ago, don't overcomplicate it, I think I, I have seen enough to suggest you can learn to lead. Yeah. It is a skill that you can develop. It, can, it could be hard work. I think genetically you have a propensity for certain aspects of leadership. Yes. You know, some people are quite charismatic. Some people have the ability to re- retain numbers or, you know, they're quite eloquent and all that. So there's some genetic aspects that help, yes. but it's not a precursor to being, oh, you know, I was always, I've always been a leader my whole life. I was captain of the under-14s. I was captain of, the, you know, the, 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 the debating team. Yeah, we get all that, but there's some other – that doesn't necessarily define leadership. There are lots of ways we can all lead. So I think I see enough to suggest if you buy into the simple aspects of leadership, you can learn to do that. And we look at 2022, great resignation, just coming yeah. off the back of COVID, extreme war for talent. What does it mean to be a great leader in 2022? Yeah, and I think it's. I think we're going to also be careful that what's needed in 2022 is exactly what was needed in, in 1822. You know, what, what we need now is no different than what we've always needed. It's just heightened and there's a sense of urgency around it now. Um, the great leaders that we need in 2022 have exactly the same traits of the great leaders in 1922 through the Great Depression or wh- whatever it was. So I think we've got to be careful that we don't reform or reshape leadership because there's a crisis. No, leadership's always needed high levels of trust, create high levels of safety, invest in people, um, give them clarity of where they're going, care about them. Um, that's, that's not a 2022 issue. That's a, that's a constant. Because I think um, a lot of people when you said, I, I really resonate with what you said, you want to keep it simple because for me personally, I can see leadership as such an intimidating thing. There's mm-hmm. all these things you've got to learn you, you know, servant leadership, yeah. do you do this? And then, you know, you, you know you, you've let others down, they've let you down, and then you've got to lead leaders yeah. as your business grows and all of that. Like for anybody watching this, what, where's a good place to start? Like, yeah. you know what I mean? Or, and a lot of people, they're just focused on cash flow and like, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah and, and I get and it's important. All those yeah. things are important. And, yeah. But, you know, where's the starting point? The great leaders I have seen and worked with and followed have a very, very clear sense of purpose. They know exactly why they're there. And it's beyond the delivery of a function. 
It's for a higher purpose. They understand that they are there for a higher purpose. They have credibility. Right? It's very hard to follow someone who's got no idea what's going on. So they do know how to run it. Their businesses are well managed. However, they also know that they need to take people with them. So they, they engage others. They connect with others. They influence others. They help others. They lift others up. And they're also, and I know it's, you know it gets thrown around a bit, they have that authenticity about, you know, they are committed to a course of the values that are very, very clear in terms of how they behave. So I think those, you know, purpose, credibility, uh, connection and commitment to their values, they're the four fundamentals, I think, from what I've seen. They're the four co- constants in great leadership. And when it comes to teams, you've dedicated your whole career now mm. to building phenomenal teams, yep. keyword phenomenal, phenomenal teams. Yeah. Can you, let's talk about that and why teams and why do you call them phenomenal? Okay. Um, I really do believe people love being in teams. Right. And you can call, you can take the word team out, put tribe or family or friendship groups or put up, call it whatever. But fundamentally, we love being connected and we love achieving things together. And, you know, when I ask just randomly, when, when have you been the happiest at work? People say, oh, when I was in this team. Mm-hmm. Very rarely do they say, oh, when I achieve this on my own. You know, and Simon Sinek talks about it. You know, he talks the, about the fact that we are not built necessarily really to be do stuff on our own. We're not very good at it. No. Um, and I've heard some of the guests you've had on here talk about that you can have great strategy and you can have great skills, but you're, the lone wolf will be beaten by another team. Um, worse to that effect. And so I'm very, very passionate around the fact that, well, let's create teams that people want to be in because no one likes being in a team that loses every week but they love being in teams that win for a long time. And so we go to the other end, so what does a phenomenal team look like? I was inspired in the early, my early days of this work by um, you know, Jim Collins with Good to Great. You know, good is the enemy of great. I'm thinking, yeah, but I've seen some great environments and then they don't last. What is it? There's something else. There's, there's another level. And what I've realised now is phenomenal teams are led by many. Great teams tend to be Euro-based. So as long as Nathan's heading founder and as long as Charlie's here and as long as Morgan's there, we're going to be fantastic. Yeah, yeah, great. And you will be great because you're all great people. What happens when you go? And that's that's the difference. Phenomenal teams are consumed and their leader is consumed by we're not all going to be here at some point. What do we leave behind? So, that's, so phenomenal teams are constantly building lots of leaders. They have massive leadership depth. Therefore, they get things done quickly, high levels of trust, all the things you know that we know builds great teams. Um, the next level, that's the difference, the next level. So when, the, when all those great people leave, the team just continues to fly. Because you've, you've sold me on this, this idea of, of building phenomenal teams, having exceptional leaders at depth, winning, winning deep, not shallow, yeah. you know, some, some of the things you've taught us. I'm curious though, can you talk to us how you discovered this, right? Like at what point in time did you realize that phenomenal teams is where it's at? There must have been a consistent pattern that you saw from the work that you're doing. Like yeah. talk me through and maybe some of these experiences, if you could give us real life stories of yeah. like how you've turned teams around or how you've turned companies around by instilling some of these practices and working with teams over time. Yeah. Um, I, I suppose the immediate one was always in, I've been in some of these. Yep. Um, whether it be in sport, whether it be in, in work, where we would have, uh, not, not sort of a team I led or manager, I was just part of a team, but we would have fantastic experiences year in and year out. And then 
it wouldn't happen. And you go, what, what, how come we're not as good as we used to? Because we did some outstanding things. And then you realise that, you know, so-and-so left and Nathan left and he was a great leader and Morgan left and she was fantastic and I'm sort of the only one left here. And so you have to almost rebuild. You think, gee, there's something in that. I've experienced that a bit. I've also experienced, you know, taking over teams that are down the other end who are just trapped in a victim mindset. So blame, complain, defend is their currency. But we all get on really well, but it's never our fault that we don't deliver. So I've been in those teams as well. So from a practical sense, I've, I've been in teams that have been lumpy. But I think really the trigger for me um, in the early days, Nathan, was sport. Because you'd, you'd see, gee, you know, whether it be in Premier League soccer, Manchester United had 26 years of unbelievable success and now they don't. What happened? Well, they've run out of leaders. And yet there are other sporting teams that no matter who the manager is, no matter who the star players is, they, they continue to thrive. What's the difference? And, and it's that continual growth of leaders. So I saw, a, I've sort of been in the term and I've seen it happen, particularly in sport. I mean, that's the obvious one. Yes. And then once you get it in, in, once you have it in your mind, you can't get it out of your mind. So I go into corporate and go, how things go? Oh, we're fantastic. So what do you mean you're fantastic? Oh, we've had a great quarter. Great. And what is the next quarter? Oh, we'll worry about that when we come to it. Oh, okay. So you've had a moment in the sun. That doesn't define you as great. But then they have two or three years of outstanding success. But then the leader of that team said, Gary, I need some help. We've gone really flat. I can't understand why we're not running at the pace we used to run with. Okay, what's happened? And inevitably they've run out of leaders. So I was seeing it once I had it in my mind through sport. I, was, I then started to see it in evidenced in corporate. And so can you tell me kind of like a, a team that you've worked with where everybody or would be perceived that this company is done and you've helped turn it around? Can you give me one of your best, most proudest stories yeah. or case studies? Or And what did you do? Talk me through. Yeah, I'd love to hear this. Well, uh, it was – I can't – obviously, I can't name the organisation, yep. okay. but if, it was a very um, – it was an Australian-based company. They were um, strong brand. Yep. So that, that, that helped for a while. So yep. strong brand. But the strong brand was getting them through. It wasn't through fabulous delivery. It wasn't through fabulous experiences for customers. It was just the brand was so strong. Yep. And, then, and then, as we all know, once, once the brand promises this but delivers this, there's a disconnect. Yes. And so... Um, the starting point was, well, teams look like they're leaders. So we need to get the leaders in a room. And that was that was the first challenge. No, 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 that's not true, Gary. I think it is. Oh, no, no, they need to do more work on this. We're doing okay. Well, you can't be. Teams look like they're leaders. I, I don't sort of, what's the word? I don't shift from that because I've just seen it so often. So we started with the leadership team and that was a, challenging environment to get them to acknowledge that the business is in the state it's in because of stuff that we're tolerating in here. So obviously, you know, starting point is so what's our purpose as a leadership team, right? And inevitably they go to deliver revenue, shareholder value, whatever, you know, technical aspect they want to, well, no, it's a bit more than that. It's just a, that's just a signpost that you're doing something else. Oh, gee, that's interesting. So we established a really clear purpose for that team. We then attached the typical outputs as signs that you're delivering on that. 
And then, and this is probably where the, the, the shift was, um, what are we tolerating in this business? What are we rewarding in this business that's hurting us? Mm. And, that, and let's start in this room. What do we tolerate from each other that's hurting us? And that was as tough as that conversation was, as real as that conversation was, uh, that was the turning point. You know, behaviour drives performance. So they could do everything technical in the world. They could have the best strategy in the world. They can have, they can redo all their premises. Behavior drives performance, and that was the turning point for them. Once they realised that the only way we're going to get out of this is to shift our behaviours, um, the whole sh- thing shifted. It shifted pretty quickly. It, it shifted quickly, then went flat because it's like, oh, thank goodness. Oh, we're out, we're out of the rough waters now. You know, sky's blue. Waters are calm. Oh, it's no, no, no. All we've done is get through that. Now we've got to. Now we're going to start building lots, lots and lots of leaders. So away we go again. So it's a constant. You know, you've got to be brave for this stuff. And you, as you know, Nathan, there's some pretty real conversations need to be had. So this, you know, creating a high performing environment is really only for the brave. Mm-hmm. Um, that's nature of anything, anything to get better at. Um, so that was that. That one always sticks in my mind. It was a high, um, what's the word, a highly, very busy industry they're in, very noisy biz- industry, very big industry, fast-paced. So, And they just got so caught up in the whirlpool of that speed that they were, they were just um, overwhelmed by do, 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 act, 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 fix, 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 fix. Wait, 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 let's just stop for a minute. Take a breath. Let's realign. Let's get a purpose. Let's get something higher than just get through the day, which is that winning shallow. So they were, they were almost addicted to winning shallow. Can you tell us more about the difference between winning shallow and winning deep? So, yeah. yeah it's, and in fairness, I've adapted the winning shallow, winning deep um, from some work I've seen in the UK with the English soccer team, actually. Yeah. Um, but it, so if you adapt it into our corporate environment, Winning shallow is you become obsessed with this week, this day, this quarter, this year. Oh, we got through. So junior 30, God, glad we got that last sale in. So glad we got that last sale in. We hit budget, right? July 1, here we go again. Versus let's deliver on our purpose. That's winning deep. What suggests we're on track? to deliver on our purpose, what suggests we're on track. We've got high levels of engagement, fantastic. Um, we're, the, we're the talent magnet for our industry, fantastic. We are clearly creating an environment which our people feel safe, engaged, confident, inspired, fantastic. That's winning deep because that'll last. That'll get you through any, any turmoil, any rough seas that you have. So the winning shallow is right here, right now. Task focus. Task focus. Get this task done. Get the list. And you always, you can always tell, you know, get your to-do list out. And they pull out four pages of their to-do list. That's winning shallow. And one thing that you've talked about a lot is trust. Mm. How is trust built? So that's a common denominator amongst all high-performing teams, yeah. a high sense of trust. If you look at sport, who do you pass the ball to? Yeah. Do you, you have to have trust that you pass the ball to that person, they're going to do the right thing. Yes, absolutely. And so trust and safety. Um, it's safe for me to give you the ball or it's safe for me to say I'm not giving you the ball because 
I don't think you're very good at this and this, but I'll help you. You know, so it's safe to have those conversations that matter. Mm-hmm. So how do you build trust? It's it's there's a constant. It's probably three elements for me. Um, you you bring the same person every day, so there's an authenticity about you. You know whether you're, and I'm not saying suggesting you have to be loving and caring if that's not who you are, but who you are, you bring who you are every day. So people are not in any doubt who what what's Wednesday. Nathan's never in a good mood on Wednesday. So if you want to talk to him, talk to him on Monday. No, there's none of that. That's the second part is you are logically curious about about others. So there's a certain ability to question. So Nathan, tell, talk to me about how you got that answer. What was your thinking behind that answer? So you're logically curious about them. What's your idea of success in this particular situation? Well, it's this, this, and this. So you seek to understand, to quote Stephen Covey. Um, okay, that's interesting. So, but do you really realize in our environment, this is what success looks like? Now, I'll help you with that, but you understand the difference, don't you? you know, I don't, oh, gee. So now I'm building, it's safe for you to say, I'm not really sure what's going on here. Now you trust that I care about you. Now that you trust that I've got a plan. So, how do you build trust? Be, you know, be who you are, be really clear on what your purpose is and what your values are. Bring that every day. Be logically curious about others. Those three elements I've noticed tend to help us build. Hey guys, I hope you're enjoying this episode and learning a ton. As you know, in this series, we interview some of the greatest founders of our generation to find out how they did it. However, if you're thinking of starting your own business and you want to hear from some incredible stories from everyday people like you or I who are actually in the trenches, only been building their business for maybe one year or two years, like that are building right now and they're really in the early stages, but they're getting success. You should come and check out our new podcast from Zero to Founder, hosted by our community manager, Molly Flynn. These are in the trenches stories from our very own successful students that have gone through some of our programs. People just like you who are deep within the process of building their very own successful business. These are the founders of tomorrow. You can find the From Zero to Founder podcast on all platforms. And remember, it's founder without the E. All right, now let's jump in the show. When it comes to kind of, I guess, building teams, what do founders usually get wrong? Yeah, well, um, except except you. I'm, I've noticed of late, actually, because I've, I've started doing a little bit of work lately with founder owners. So the founder's still in the business. Yep. And it's the typical um, sort of process I'm, I'm seeing is they've, they've spent a lot of, lot of time in survive mode. All right, mm-hmm. I want to get this started. I'll, and they just get through the day, get through the month, get through, if I can just get through this financial year, if I can just pay this debt off. If I can. So they're in survival mode a lot. And then... You know, through their sheer effort, they get to strive mode. Yep, we got through the first, you know, whatever the stats tell us. We got through the first two years. I think we're going to be okay. Now let's just go output, 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 output. And then, and then the business goes a little flat. It may even sort of slide a bit. And that's the founder, I'm not sure what's happened here. We, I can't work any harder. No, you're right. You're right. And we're not going to ask you to work any less hard. We're going to ask you to work. Um, smarter now and so how do we get them into thrive mode 
So we go from survive to strive. How do we get into thrive mode? And this is the bit that some founders, I think, struggle with a bit because you can't go into thrive mode unless you're building high-performing leaders around you. Because mm. the, beauty, the beauty that you brought to the organisation is starting to diminish because you're so caught up in the turmoil of or the, the efforts to strive and output-driven. And the times that you sit and go, you know, what's the next big thing for this business? You're too overwhelmed. And so... The, what I'm noticing, the founder struggles a bit with letting go of, of some stuff that others could have, could and should and have the ability to do so that that founder can step out and go, okay, what's the next big thing here? So that's the challenging bit. How do we go from strive to thrive? And often the trigger is what are you going to let go of? What do you trust others enough with that you can let them go and do that now? And when it comes to, I guess, founders in the early days of their business, what do you prefer or what, what's your kind of, I guess, recommendation to founders? Do you, do, you, do you subscribe to developing leaders that have become the founding team or do you prefer to bring other developed leaders in? What's your take there and how do you, as your company grows, how do you look to identify great leaders that you want to recruit? I think um, I'm a bit of a fan of... Of, of mixing that, and I know that's not the back out response, yeah. but because yeah. um, there's there's a certain necessity that you have people around you in the business that get where you've come from, mm. and and bring that with them and understand that actually we've been here before. Don't worry, we're going to be okay. Mm. But I think it's also important that we get every now and then you have an in, an injection of a different way of thinking, a different experience, a different solution. Uh, so I think it's a mix. But I'm a bit of a fan of. I would re- of growing from within. When you recruit, though, have in the back of your mind that what's going to take you from strive to thrive is leaders. So when you recruit, have that in your back of your mind, whether it be even through your questioning technique or so you, the talent, the skill bit is a given. Mm. But what else will they bring to this organisation that in two years' time I can sort of let go of this? Has this person got the ability? So you'll hire based with a forward thinking leadership mindset that will allow you to step from strive to thrive a lot quicker. Mm. And how do you know, like what, what kind of questions are you asking? What, like, what are you, what are things that you're doing if you're identifying potential leaders in a business? Mm. I, I would, it, it, for me, cause I like to keep things very simple. It's tell me the bravest thing you've ever done. Tell me the, tell me a time when you have shifted the way an op- a business operates. Or tell me a time when you've had to have a real conversation with someone above you. Tell me the time when, so you're looking for the traits that you know. Tell me the time you've come up with the next big idea and implemented it and um, saw it through and took others with you. And tell me the time when you've been a fantastic team member. So anything that relates to them with the potential to add value to your leadership growth. That was gold. Thank you. And what about identifying within in strong individual contributors versus strong individual contributors that might have leadership potential? Mm. Yeah. Talking about that, how do you well, identify that? Yes, and it's um, yeah, and we you know we've talked about this, haven't we? That ultimately there's almost um, a, a sort of level above leaders, which is like the game changer. Now, in any business, in any sporting team, we see it. Sport's probably the obvious one, but we see it in businesses, don't we? We have 
really strong contributors. Like if you give them a task to do, they do a fantastic job at it. The challenge is they wait. So when when I get the instructions and when I'm when I get really clear instructions and when I really clear objectives and really clear KPIs and really clear, I'll do a fam- fabulous job. The challenge we have is they your business won't grow if it's full of great contributors. Why not? Because they're waiting for you to give them the, the next task. Mm-hmm. Um, the the game changer is the one that comes to you with the next big thing, and that's again that's the trigger from strive to thrive Mm. where because strive is driven by really really strong contributors but you're doing the driving thrive is i've got these other people now that come up with these great ideas so they think up they speak up they lift up they never give up so they've got all that whole collection of of traits that surprise you in a good way, like, wow, I didn't even think of that. Yeah, I've been thinking about this for a while, Nathan. How about we try this? You know, that is brilliant. I love that. That takes you to that next level. So so we can be a fantastic leader and not necessarily change the game. Mm. I have seen instances, though, where game changers may not be the best leaders. Oh, oh, yeah. That's a real – and that's – I've seen that too. And I have been – What's the word? Naively, um, almost fostering that. Yeah, I'm just being a game changer. No, 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 no. You're, you're disruptive now. Yeah. So how? It, and it's always going to be a balance. I think though, if we go back to your your early question, the founder typically is a game changer. You know, he or she has come up with the with something that does go against the flow. It gets lost in the the, the hurly burly of building of, of surviving and striving. So how do we get that person back? You know, how do we get the game-changing Nathan back at Founder, for example? I'm not suggesting that's not where we're at, but you know what I mean. Um, by identifying potential leaders for you. So you, you can be both. You've just got to be really careful that one doesn't outweigh the other. You've got to be still got to take people with you. And, and the, in the true game-changer, they lift up, they team up. They're not lone wolves. They think up. So they're, they're collaborating, and, and you know we know that the essence of true collaboration is you're prepared to let others lead if if someone shows that potential. But you don't want a team with all game changers, right? No. How do you know how many you need? Um, interesting. The you'll go slower. All right, you you might get things done quickly, but your growth will be slower because the trust levels start to get eroded. Because if you've got 15 people in a room all coming up with the next big idea, that becomes internally competitive. Yeah. When that becomes internally competitive, erodes trust. And then you get little allies and they're working against that. Meanwhile, your competitors are outstripping you. So if we, if we've got to be really careful. You know, I've, I've, I've heard some really aggressive sales language around. I love getting really aggressive salespeople. My team are all aggressive salespeople. Be really careful about that because that predator instinct that will, they'll turn on each other. So if we have a room full of game changers, that will get really competitive to the point where it's, it's disruptive and all your energy is internal rather than beating the guy next to you, beating the competitor. One thing you've taught me about leadership 
great leaders ask great questions. Mm. Can you talk about that? And it's like kind of that, that's something I'm still learning, like that that beautiful question. Can you talk us through that? Because I think that's really valuable for people. Mm, okay. The um, And it sits in that element about building trust where you're logically curious. Mm. Um, and there is a saying, I, I would love to be able to attribute someone, but it's certainly not mine, but I don't know who's it. Where if you wait long enough, the beautiful question comes. And sometimes the waiting is, you start with a question, just let them talk. So tell me your thinking behind this. And I often find a question that starts with what. So what was your thinking behind this? And I'll just let them go. Now, you may already have the answer, but remember you're trying to build high levels of trust. Right? So, so your ability to question is an opportunity to build high levels of trust. So tell me what was your thinking around this? What would you do if you had your time again? What, what was in the, at the outset? What was success for you? How close did you get to it? What would you do differently? What what got in the way? You know, so it's that ability to be logically curious about them, and so you build your question. Even though you may think, oh, I know exactly what went wrong here, but the risk is if you tell them what went wrong, you may disconnect from them, and sometimes leaders in their haste to get things done go, "Don't worry." I'll and it's the leader's dilemma, isn't it? Mm. That um, oh, this would be so much quicker if I did it. Yeah, that's it. that's not really empowering, is it? No. And remember, as we say, empowerment's a feeling. Now, what do I need to do to, for you to feel empowered? I can't tell you you're empowered if you're not, mm. or you don't feel it. I will feel empowered if you let me take this, if you let me run with this, if you let me fail, if you let me. Okay, cool. Okay, if that's what you need. And in a careful, loving, caring way, you'll restrain that so it's not, you know, it doesn't turn the business upside down. Um, but it's that, it is a leader's dilemma. You know, it's that, well, it would be so much easier if I did it. Yeah, it would be, but what happens is now you're doing it all the time. And now you're stuck in and strive mode. So one thing you also taught me was this idea of having real conversations mm. And I actually, for a long time, have really, really personally struggled with having real conversations. Um, I used to really fear confrontation. I yeah. would avoid it. I would dread it. And what I've personally started to realize over time as I've developed for, with as a leader, and I, I still struggle with it, is if you don't have those conversations, you, you don't openly walk into that confrontation you let things fester and it ends up being you're far better off to just go for it even yeah. though it's difficult, even though you have to. But I'd love to hear your take about, I guess, having real conversations and, and why that is so important for building trust but then also this idea of kind of, I guess, if you don't have those real conversations, if you, I guess, avoid confrontation and it might be a bit tough, you're effectively endorsing something that yeah. that, that person might not know about or, or yeah. Yeah. It's, um, and I think sometimes the language often stops us. You know, if we call it a difficult conversation, or we call, I'm going to have a confronting conversation. I'm going to have a, I'm going to go, I'm going to go and see Charles, and it's going to be really difficult what we talk about. So you talk yourself to a position where it may or may not be true, but you've attached that that emotion to it, so you will avoid it. Mm. Um, yeah, I'm going to go on a Ferris wheel of hate heights. You know, so you, you've already talked yourself into that position before you've even. Got there. So, and that's why I use the language. That's why I deliberately use, you know, what do we really need to talk about here? Because we can be happy to talk about something, but underneath, if you think of it like an iceberg, the tip of the iceberg is what we're happy to talk about. 
the power of the iceberg is what we need to talk about. Now, the other element too, um, and we talk a lot about this, don't we, that the real conversation can also be about congratulating and thanking someone. Mm. It's not always about correcting them, not always about correcting them. Um, and we've got to be careful that we, it's a little bit like feedback has such a bad rap because sometimes feedback's weaponized a little bit. Mm. So if I say, okay, Nathan, I've got some feedback for you, you go, what have I done wrong? Versus, oh, fantastic, I can't wait. I love, I love it when I get feedback. Um, so the real conversation is very much around so what do we need, to, what do we really need to talk about now? Um, I always ask people to consider um, the, the COVID mindset, seek to understand first. So help me understand what, what happened then. Mm. Help me understand that because I'm not quite sure. Just talk me through what happened then. This, this, this. Okay, now, now you've got an opportunity to seek to be understood. So now you go, okay. You understand that that put this business at risk, don't you? Yeah, in hindsight, I do now. I do, yeah. Great. So you understand this cannot happen again. Yeah, I get that. So what, do you, what, do you, what have you put in place to make sure this? So now we're having a conversation. Now you feel like you're adding to the solution. Now you feel like I actually trust you. Now I feel like this has been quite productive. You understand this cannot happen again, but we put something in place to fix. So it's around, I think, two things. Firstly, lose the mindset around it's going to be difficult, easy to say, but you know, work on it. And then secondly, you know, seek to understand first. What is it? You know, help me understand why under pressure I see you do this, and there's a bit of a pattern of it. Oh, I'm so glad you asked because I don't really know what's going on. Oh, gee, and you think to yourself, I'm so glad I asked that. So I was just going to launch into what, what you need to fix. So we have to work towards wrapping up. I could talk to you about this stuff all day. This has been awesome. Um, one thing I wanted to ask you is just, just the fact around, I guess, as you, you know, build your business and, you know, hopefully that it, it grows and you have to hire more people and the business becomes bigger, I think um, inherently with more people becomes more problems oftentimes yeah. and and you eventually, uh, from my personal experience, get this realisation that leadership is tough. Yeah. It, it is, is. It is not easy. No. And I've, I've uh, heard you refer to it as a calling. Can you just kind of unpack that a little? Yeah, uh, I think, it, firstly, it is hard work. It's unequivocally hard work, and, and we never shy away from that. And, you know, without being unkind, it's probably why we don't have very many good ones mm. or the really good ones stand out because mm. it does require you to be brave. It does require you to swim against the current sometimes. It does require a bit of, a bit of a maverick sometimes. It does require you to shift the game sometimes. It does require you to have the real conversations. Like, it's hard work, really hard work. But some people, I've noticed, have a... Once they get a sense of it and once they get a sense of how impactful they can be on others' lives, because that's what great leaders do, you always remember how a great leader made you feel, then people go, well, this is what I'm meant to do. This, I'm not shifting from this now. So I'd liken it to when Harry Potter walked through the portal you know, on the railway station. Once you're through that leadership portal, you cannot go back. You can't unsee what you've seen. You can't unhear, unhear what you've heard. You can't decide not to do it anymore. You can't decide not to create followship in your behaviour. So once you're through, you're in. Um, 
but it's the it's the toughest thing you probably do in work, but it's the most, probably the most rewarding thing you'll ever do at work ever. Mm. Fake teams. Mm. Tell us about the definition <laughs> of fake teams. Probably you said, one thing you've always said is is everyone's been part of fake teams. Yeah, and it's it is a natural stage. It's it's how long you prepare to sit in that space. So a fake team. You can hear it in their language that it's never their fault, right? um, but their currency, what they trade off is we all get on really well, but it's a, it's a superficial harmony. So there's stuff going on there, like I'll talk to you about so-and-so, and, but we don't talk to so-and-so about it. We just moan about them or our leader, we complain about our leader, but we don't address it. We understand that look, our sales plans are terrible, but it's not our fault. Our competitors are bigger and richer quicker, you know. And so fake teams, you can hear it in their language. This blame, complain, defend goes on. Very little accountability. And you hear it in their currency. Like we get on, I can't understand why we're not winning more because we get on so well. Therein lies the reason. Because the high-performing teams, the phenomenal teams, they do not have harmony as their currency. It's exceeding expectations. It's delighting customer experiences. It's uh, outstanding work that, that no one ever expected. That's their currency. The other aspect too, of course, with fake teams, it's very hard to identify who the leader is or how many, how many more leaders there are other than the person holding the meeting. Mm. Um, even though people are of influence, they may not be leading. Mm. Yeah. So but you, know, you can hear it in their language. It's never their fault. I'm going to move to the hot seat round. Okay. Rapid fire. Um, first one I have is if you could go back to your first day in business and give yourself one piece of advice, what would it been? Why? Say no. Be really, really clear on who is, who is part of this in terms of your client base um, and say no to ones that don't fit. I was. I had a business coach, um, um, and she challenged me around draw a stick figure of your, of your, of your ideal client. You know, draw a straw man of your, and draw, write the words around them. That, and that's one that was quite impactful for me. So why are you saying yes to someone who doesn't look like that? So that was that would be, you know, lesson to myself. Embrace that earlier. What's been the hardest conversation you've had in business? Um, this isn't working. You know, ending well, ending a relationship. This isn't working. Yeah, it's not good. So we both agree. Yeah, oh, this is tough. Yeah, and really, really good people, but it wasn't working. What's been the most rewarding part of your journey? Um. Seeing people two years later and go, we still use that stuff. Happened yesterday, actually. We still use that stuff that we do. And they're going well. So they're going well, still using the stuff. Great. What's one thing you've learned today? Um, Gee, I've learned a few things today. I've learned a few things today. I think I realise when I hear myself saying it, how simple it is. It's just uh, are you prepared to get into it? If you could have dinner with one entrepreneur, dead or alive, who would it be and why? Walt Disney. Why? 
well, him and his brother have created, their purpose has not shifted since 1945 or whenever they started. So for that organisation to still be the go-to organisation, however many years, like 80 years later, mm. what, what was the thinking? Now, I know Walt was the creator, but his brother was the, that we don't hear much about. So one of those two, Sidney, okay, what was the plan? Really, what was the plan? Because we still talk about them. Awesome. Well, look, uh, Gary, we'll wrap there, but thank you no, so thank much you. for taking the time. This is incredible. I know people have taken so much around leadership, building teams, and really to cultivate an environment where you can win in business. Mm. So thank you so much, mate. No, thank you, Nathan. Enjoyed it. Hey, guys, I hope you enjoyed this interview. As you might already know, our mission at Founder is to help tens of millions of people every single week with our content either start or grow their business, which is exactly why we're partnering with world-class founders such as Damon John, Alexa Von Tobel, Greta Van Riel, and so many more to teach crucial skills such as negotiation, finance, e-commerce, and so much more. So if you'd like to get access to these free exclusive trainings, please go to founder.com forward slash free. These are 100%. We go super in depth on teaching a particular topic and I know that you're going to love them if you enjoy this podcast. So just go to founder.com forward slash free. All right, guys, I'll see you in the next episode.